Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win it real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel. Now, we've talked about money a lot on this show, but I think that there are so many questions out there and so many different scenarios that everyone can get themselves into that you can't talk about it enough. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about credit cards. Uh, Admittedly, we were just three millennials talking about it, and we didn't have an expert voice. And I heard from some of you that we maybe wanted that expert voice. So today, I have brought someone in who has all or many of the answers. Her name is Shauna Compton Game. She's a certified financial planner and her company, Your Millennial Money, produces original personal finance content for the millennial generation. She is also a podcast host. She hosts the iTunes show Millennial Money and it has helped thousands of millennial listeners pay off well over $500,000 in student loan and credit card debt. They've launched businesses, built emergency funds, saved all this money and mastered one of the most feared words in the English language, budgeting, learning how to successfully budget, and so much more, all from her show. So I'm so excited to welcome her today to talk about the smart moves we should all be making in our 20s when it comes to finances. So welcome, Shauna. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. I'm super excited to share whatever I can. Thank you. And you know, what stuck out to me was someone tweeted at me and recommended that I, after the credit card episode, that I reach out to you because apparently you really do talks very specifically to the millennial generation when it comes to money. So why? what do you think you have to do differently when speaking to the generation? Like why call your company your millennial money? How do millennials handle money differently? Gosh, that's such an interesting question. And I'm right on kind of the like teeter totter border between millennial and Gen X. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of in that year where it could be either or. Mm -hmm. So um, I I kind of view myself almost as like a big sister to especially the younger millennials. And I think what's just so interesting is, you know, especially the younger millennials, the ones in their 20s and even early 30s, like have really grown up kind of in this social media revolution mm-hmm. and also really seen the impact of, you know, what happened in 2008, 2009, when the stock market really went, you know, bust and a lot of people lost jobs. And, you know, it was just a really kind of negative climate out there. And I think, you know, millennials were really scared because a lot of them, that was like right when they were rolling into kind of the workforce Mm -hmm. and, you know, there weren't job opportunities and they had massive amounts of student loan debt and nobody was really out there specifically speaking to them about real life stuff that they need to know, not textbook uh, definitions of money, but how you actually really do this in life. And, you know, as a certified financial planner, I also have kind of an entertainment background, a creative background. Mm -hmm. So, For me, it was just a natural that, you know, this demographic in particular was really out there searching for money answers and money tips and, you know, really looking for a resource to provide that to them. And so, you know, I kind of came up with the millennial money after writing an article that went viral about smart money moves in your 20s. And, um, Hopefully, I'm making money easier for people. So my question is, so you know all this stuff. You're a certified financial planner, money expert. Were you really good with money when you were in your 20s? Like, were you the budgeting pro that all of your friends, did you balance everyone's checkbooks when you were in college in your 20s? Well, I was and I wasn't. And I think, you know, this is something I'm I'm very honest about. When I was in college, I started a business. I actually launched a nonprofit. And I was running um, between a quarter of a million to a half a million dollar budget every year 
by myself without really having done that before. And so I had to be really resourceful and really good with the money. But then on the personal side, I was not as organized. So, you know, credit cards were like giving out like candy. And um, I really didn't have a ton of debt, but I definitely was kind of intrigued by like, oh, hey, I want to, you know, go on a shopping spree. I don't really have the money. Let's just put it on the plastic. So um, I kind of was this weird, you know, balance between doing it really well on one side and on the other side, not doing it so well. But I I definitely learned, you know, that was kind of like the, the, the lessons of how you manage credit card debt properly and how a credit card can actually be a good resource for you if you play by the rules. So I, so I say, yeah. And a good resource in what way? Well, you know, credit cards now are so rich with benefits, Mm -hmm. you know, between cash back, uh, travel rewards. Um, I've been to Europe three times in the past four years and never paid for a plane ticket for myself and my husband. Wow. And, and that's all just because, you know, I use my credit card almost like a debit card. So I'll charge, you know, what I, what I'm going to spend regularly on groceries and gas and all of those things during the month and budget properly and then just pay it off at the end of the month. So I don't have any of the negative side effects of a credit card, you know, interest, any of that, that sort of thing, but I I'm reaping all of the benefits. So I'm getting all sorts of freebies for the money that I was already going to spend anyway. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because that sounds like one of the smart moves that people should be making is playing smart with your credit cards. And you had mentioned that you wrote that article that went viral about smart money moves to make in your 20s, which I definitely want to talk about, I think is a really good topic for our listeners. But first, I thought we could talk a little bit about why your 20s are such a crucial time financially. What kind of power do 20-somethings have financially when so many of us are starting out in entry-level jobs where we're not making that much money and we're living in, you know, we want to find apartments that cost next to nothing and don't generally have, you know, tons of stocks we're investing in and things like that. So what what does our financial power look like at this stage? And why is it important to really start, you know, making these smart long term moves? Yeah, I think it's it's really hard, you know, when you're in their 20s to see past your 20s. And I understand Mm -hmm. that. But you have the power of time, which is such a beautiful gift in your 20s, especially when we're talking about, you know, saving and growing money. Like I always tell people, don't don't mention the word retirement. This is really about like lifestyle. This is about you're saving now to give yourself choices in the future. If, if that is retirement, great. But I, I really think that, you know, quote unquote, retirement for 20s and 30 year olds now is going to look completely different than whatever our parents went through. So, um, you know, you have the, t- the power of, t- of time of saving and you can really utilize that. I mean, even if you put away 50 to 100 bucks a month in your 20s, that grows so much over time. I mean, you would just be amazed at what could happen in 30 years with that money. But also your 20s is really a place where you're setting a roadmap for your future, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it really is a time to hammer some of these kind of like foundational money skills. You know, I know the terrible B word that nobody likes to talk about, but (laughs) budgeting, you know, kind of your philosophy on how you're going to save money, really what you want your life to look like. Like, it's much easier to kind of build the house from the foundation up in your 20s. Versus when you get kind of later on in life and things get far more complicated, it's hard to undo and go back and kind of relearn those like basic 
foundational, really important money lessons. And I think, you know, if you, if you can do some of this legwork in your twenties, you're just really going to set yourself up to kind of soar your thirties and your forties and, and on out. And again, just give yourself choices in life about what you want to do. I mean, you know, you can start saving in your twenties and then, you know, if you're in your mid thirties and you decide, okay, I want to quit my job and I want to, you know, start a, start my own business or whatever it may be, you know, suddenly then you have this nest egg that you can utilize that wouldn't be there had you not, you know, just taken a few steps in your 20s. Absolutely. So other than saving, investing in a 401k, if your company has one or or investing in some kind of retirement plan independently, let's talk about some of these smart money moves that we should be making. So what, what would you say is your number one if you do one thing before the end of 2017 or one thing before the end of September? Because it is, as we record this, September 1st, so we have a clean slate. What would you right. say we should all do? Well, this may actually sound like a, a basic step. But I really talk about a concept that I call knowing your numbers. Mm -hmm. And this actually comes like before you create your budget. And, and I really believe it's the reason why most budgets fall apart, why it doesn't work, why people hate budgeting, is you don't actually know, most people don't actually know how much they're spending on different categories each month, like eating out, groceries, gas, shopping, entertainment, all of those types of things. It's really important to know what you're spending on these categories because then you can set certain goals for yourself. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, there's always this thought of like, well, I can't, I just can't save money. I can't save money. I can't save money. And, you know, I always tell people, well, the answers are hidden right in your bank account because no matter how little money you make or how much money you make, there is a way for you to shift around things in your, in your spending and savings in order to achieve or start working towards the financial goals that you want to. So that may seem really basic, but you would be surprised. I, I could guarantee you we could go on the street right now and we could ask 100 people and probably 99 of them could not tell you how much they spent last month on eating out. So on that topic, and I'm not trying to sound like the whiny millennial, but I feel that that is my duty as the listeners cannot speak and I must. The thing that overwhelms me about budgeting is that with our phones now and with the way technology has evolved, everything is set to auto pay. Like I don't even yep. look at it. Or everything at the Uber or Lyft is at the tap of the button that our phones and our apps have eliminated that step of thinking about it. Like you load your credit card into Uber or Seamless or whatever apps you have or, or Venmo, and it's like money is flying around between phones so with so little consideration and maybe this is I don't think this is just me and I'm not saying that I'm like ordering Ubers every single day like black car service to get me to and from work but I am saying that I feel like when my parents had to budget or even maybe a generation ahead of me had to set budgets and think about things they didn't have that there were more barriers to spending than there are now where you can <laughs> you have one too many beers one night and suddenly yeah. it's like you've ordered three pizzas and you ordered an Uber and like your Amazon Prime was here and you thought it'd be funny to order that weird shaped pillow. And like, you know, you've you, we can load our credit cards into so many things. I don't know if this is something you've heard before, but I think that's what gets me is I'll look at my bank statement and be like, oh, my God, I didn't realize it because you just click and don't think as much. 
Absolutely. I mean, that is definitely, I think, the the catch-22 with with especially younger millennials where everything is digitized mm-hmm. is, is it becomes almost even more difficult because you really have to have some sort of self-control <laughs> mechanism right. in place to go, okay, you know, I know I've, I've spent, you know, 50 bucks on Uber this month. Like I can't spend anymore or I got to make a shift somewhere else. You know, and I, I think that's the tough thing with money. You know, when you, when you think about other goals in life that you want to achieve, you know, if you want to work out or lose weight or whatever it may be, you kind of understand the, you know, the process that you have to go through. You either go on a diet or you, you know, cut out carbs or you go to the gym five days a week or whatever it may be. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do those steps, then, you know, you're not going to achieve the goal. Right. Mm -hmm. But money is so complicated because there's also a huge psychological aspect to money as well. Right. So most of us don't even understand why we think, act and feel about money. We just kind of do the same thing over and over again. And, um, you know, we're constantly, like mad at ourselves that we can't save money or, you know, maybe we, we spend on impulse or when we get mad or whatever it may be. And interesting, your, your money habits are formed by the time you're age seven. Oh, really? Yeah. So scientifically, they found that if you can think back to maybe your early childhood, there's something in there that has, you know, affected how you think about money, how you handle money. And until you go back and kind of figure out like, oh, maybe I'm an overspender, you know, because I I saw my parents do it. Or, you know, maybe I like to never, you know, let go of my money because, uh, you know, money was not free flowing when I grew up or whatever it may be. It could be something even very simplistic. But, you know, because those habits are kind of set from when you're super young, you never think about it, but it carries with you. So back to the idea of knowing your numbers, given all the apps and all the different avenues that we're spending, what what is knowing your numbers involve? Does that involve three months of looking at bank statements or, or what does that step look like? It's a monthly step. And I think the first month, what you have to do is is literally go back to the basics. Print off your bank statement, grab a sheet of paper, Print grab a glass. with paper? I know, I know. What's Print that? That's so old school. <laughs> I, that is so old school. But, but it... There's something magical about no, actual paper. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, grab a snack, gla- grab a glass of wine, put on some music, whatever you need to do. That's true. If you through- spill wine on paper, it doesn't break. That's exactly. the nice thing about paper. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like grab your favorite little highlighters and just start putting things in categories. Add up those categories and just take a look at it. Like really take a look at like, okay, how much did I spend in all of these categories each month? You know, is there anything alarming there Um, or anything where I went like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, I thought I only spent a hundred dollars eating out and I spent, you know, $500, you know, is that okay with me or is that not, you know, you, you have to kind of answer that question yourself. Right. And it's just an awareness of like really understanding where your money's going And you can either choose to keep it going in that direction, which there's nothing wrong with that if that's okay with you, or you could go, okay, look, I need, you know, $200 extra a month to get my student loans paid off in two years or whatever that number may be. You know, if I, if I put a couple goals in place and maybe shift a few things around, I can still go eat out. I can still have my Ubers. I can still do fun things. But now I'm just redirecting some of my money. So it's just about an awareness. 
after you do the actual paper for, I say, a month or two, then you can move to do this on an app. There are tons of apps that will actually do this process for you and categorize things. Right. So you don't have to go through this anymore. Um, you just have to get maybe another app on your phone to help you. Right. So once you've known your numbers and you're comfortable with your numbers, what's the next money move we should graduate to? The next money move is really incorporating that into the big bad B word, the budget. Right. And again, there are so many apps that you can use uh, nowadays that make this so much easier. Um I'm an old school fan even of using Excel, but I know that's totally not millennial friendly. <laughs> so, you know, there's apps like uh, You Need a Budget and uh, Wally is a great one. Wally will actually break out your spending not only for the month, how much you have budgeted, but also daily. So oh. it can really help you keep on track of not going over your budget and knowing how much you could spend actually each day in certain categories. And I do feel like and I'm I I feel like people know at this point, I feel like either you you know, you need to make a budget or it's just something that you need to mentally get with. And because I yeah. think that that's the first thing anyone will tell you is like you need to sit down and make a budget. So assuming people either are totally resistant to the budget and will never yeah. do it or already have that under control. What are some of the the moves that people might be too scared to make or might not know they should be making at this stage in their life? One of the first things that you should do is have some sort of emergency fund. Mm -hmm. This is really, I think, kind of your first stop before you start investing um, and even throwing extra money on on debt is having some sort of, of separate savings account that is there literally for, you know, when your car breaks down or if you lose your job, whatever it may be. And what you're really looking to do is to save somewhere between three to six months worth of your expenses. So the expenses that you absolutely have to pay every month, th those are what you're covering. And usually three to six months is more than enough kind of padding for um, any type of emergency you might come up with. So I've heard that before. I've mm -hmm. I've heard the idea of the emergency fund. I don't have bank passwords for my friends, so I can't say this with confidence. But I'm not sure that that's something many of my friends are doing. I mean, I I know that I like to keep like $20 cash at in my apartment hidden. Don't go looking for it. But it's hidden really well. Um, like I keep $20 cash in my apartment for if my debit card gets stolen or I, you know, I don't know, the power goes out and or something like that. Like I have like a $20 <laughs> emergency fund, but that's about as far as I've gotten. Like I'm not at the level where I'm making a separate bank account or something like that. Have you heard that as well? Have you heard that from people as well that that's not a step that they're willing to take? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a step that they're not willing to take. What I hear a lot is just they don't know where to start with that. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I when I tell people like three to six months, I also tell them like, look, it may take you a year to get to three to six months worth mm. of savings. So, you know, this is definitely something you could back into each month. You know, maybe you put maybe you add an extra 25 bucks each month or whatever it may be to this fund. But the problem is, is when you don't have something like this and emergency comes up, then most people end up turning, you know, to credit card debt or, or right. something like that. And that just ends up making, you know, the stress and the situation worse. So even if you could only plunk away a small amount each month, at least you're you're committing to something, you know, and and just like everything else, you know, put it on put it on auto debit you know, put 25 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or whatever it is into this separate account. 
And there's something psychological also about seeing your account growing versus shrinking mm-hmm. where you, you start to become more motivated, almost like a competition with yourself to really ramp this up. But, but again, I think it's really hard to just kind of make the first step with some of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about investing, that's, that's kind of the same thing. Like it's, it's kind of big and scary and, you know, especially younger millennials saw a lot of people lose a lot of money. Right. And so it's just kind of this, this really scary thing where you don't even know where to start, but the catch 22 with that, like just, we talked about a little bit earlier is even if you don't know anything about investing, there are so many cool online resources now to help you to make it easy for you. And again, even if you just start committing with just a tiny bit of money, it's all about also making your money grow. And that's definitely one step that's going to get you in the right direction. So something I found from the Bureau of Labor Statistics is that the median wage for 20 to 24-year-olds in the first quarter of 2015 was only $493 a week. So that's a little more than $25,000 a year. And then for 25 to 34-year-olds, that's $736 a week, about $38,000 a year. So knowing those statistics and knowing that people are just not – maybe making enough to have a substantial savings account. What's the smart way to manage your finances in that case? And what's the smart way to handle an emergency if that's your financial situation? Look, if you're if you have an emergency, you know, and you have to turn to a credit card, which many people do, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think at that point, what you're looking for is, you know, what is the is the the way that's going to cost me the least. So you're looking for like a credit card with the lowest interest rate. If you have a great credit score and you can get, you know, a 0% credit card offer, um, many of those now extend out like past a year, 15 months, 18 months I've seen. Those types of things will help you be able to, you know, pay for that emergency and then um, pay it off, you know, over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So credit card is definitely, you know, Probably if you have an emergency and you have nowhere to turn, that's usually the first stop, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think as far as, as saving money, it, it really is about just like forming a habit. Even if you can only save 10 bucks a month, whatever it is, just a small amount, there's, there's, a, there's a way in everybody's spending to just reallocate even the tiniest bit of money. Mm-hmm. and get that working. You know, if you start investing and let's say you can only invest, I don't know, whatever the number is, a hundred bucks a month or 50 bucks a month and, and you work for a company and they match your investing, you know. Right. So when you're talking about investing, you're talking about like a 401k program or something exactly. like that. When people used to say invest to me, I used to be like, like in the stock market, where am I, <laughs> where am I investing? But you're talking about some kind of retirement program. Absolutely. Yeah. That should be your first, your first stop at investing. You know, I find like so many millennials want to get to actual stock investing and I'm like, oh no, that's like your last stop on the train. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's like going to Vegas when you're, when you're buying (laughs) individual stocks, you know, you, you win some days, but you lose a lot of days. Mm -hmm. So yeah, your first stop with investing should be, you know, if you have a 401k through work, you should check and see if they offer what's called matching. Mm -hmm. And what that basically means, it's kind of the best thing out there. It's, 
it's, it's free money. So what most companies say is if you put in a certain percentage of your salary, we're going to match that same contribution up to a certain level as kind of a benefit for working for our company. And that's a real way, especially if you're not making a lot of money in your job, but if your company is matching whatever you put in your 401k, that's a, that's a big way for you to really boost your 401k contributions on a small salary. So you should always try to find out what the match is because, again, that's just free money. And something I just learned was the idea of being vested in a company that you have to stay somewhere usually for two years before that match actually even pays off or they can they can take it back. <laughs> That's right. Well, that's called that's which called no vesting. one, which maybe people no tell you in like the fine print, but no one reads the fine print. <laughs> exactly. That's no, just, you're, no, you're totally right. That's a concept called vesting. And what most companies do is they say like, okay, the first year will will match, but if you leave the company in the first year, you walk away only with how much money you put in, none of our money. Which is like they get up there for the presentation and they're like, well, guess what. Mr. Big Company matches up to whatever 5%, but only if you stay with us for X amount of years. And it's exactly, like, well, yes. it's a quiet whisper. Yeah, really? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? So those are, that is all good advice. And, you know, you, you host this podcast, so you hear from a lot of listeners just like I do. What is the one, you know, major mistake that people are making other than not saving, just understanding that people are probably in different positions. But if there's one mistake, whether it's a term people are misunderstanding or or just something that they don't think that they have the power to do yet, what what is that big mistake that people are making that you've seen? Gosh, you know, there's there's so many different things when you ask me this question. There's so many mistakes. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do I whittle it down? Well, I I think it's not that there are mistakes. It's just there's so many there's so much misunderstanding out there when it comes to money. But I think an important thing to talk about is is debt, especially because millennials have a lot of debt, be it credit cards or student loans or Mm -hmm. car payments. And most people don't know there actually is a strategy when it comes to paying off debt. Um, what most people do is they've, they've heard somewhere that, you know, you should pay higher than the minimums on whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So they just for this, for the purposes paying. of this conversation, let's talk student loans, just because I think that's a super common one. So most people know that you should pay over whatever the minimum payment is, but they don't understand, okay, well, how much is there a right amount? Is there not a right amount? And so there are a lot of awesome um, calculators online, but basically what you're what you're looking at, a lot of students now have student loans where you may have like four or five different student loans, right? And they all have different amounts that you owe and different interest rates. Right. And there's two schools of thought when it comes to paying off debt. And either one, either one you choose is great. The first is what's called the snowball method. And what that says is you're looking for the debt with the least amount of debt. So if you have a $2,000 loan, a $5,000 and $10,000, you're going to look at the $2,000 first, right? Because it's the qu- theoretically the exactly. quickest to pay off. Okay. Exactly. So psychologically speaking, you're going to be able to pay that off super quick and be motivated to stay with kind of debt payoff. Mm-hmm. So you pay your minimums on the other two loans. And on that one, you're going to throw everything you got, every extra, you know, dollar that you were spending on your student loans onto that one until it's paid off. Okay. Once that's paid off, you're going to take that payment, roll it onto the next and the next, so on and so forth. The other school of thought is that you're looking at the one with the highest interest rate first. So whichever one that may be, you're going to attack that one, pay the minimums on the other ones and do the same sort of strategy. And either method you choose 
is correct. The mm-hmm. higher interest from method, you might end up saving a little bit more money because you're paying off the higher interest. But most times the loan that you have that actually has the higher interest rate is also usually the bigger loan. So it's just going to take you a lot longer to see progress. Mm-hmm. So, so I really think, you know, coming up with a debt payoff strategy and then sticking to it every month so you know how much to pay on each of those loans will really help you eradicate your student loans much faster than if you're just throwing out money to them um, and, and not really sure there's no system, there's no strategy in place. And I see a lot of millennials do that and then kind of wonder, why am I not making progress? I I just think that sometimes the language, like you said, because there are so many different types of loans and they're all different amounts and some, you know, you may, you get them from so many different places. The language just becomes so confusing to understand. So what are some of your favorite, like on, like you mentioned, online resources that help you create these strategies? There's all sorts of calculators. Um, NerdWallet actually has some fantastic calculators where you can plug in how much you have available to spend each month and the different loans and interest rates. And then you can let it know whether you want to pay off you know, the smallest loan first or the highest interest rate, and it will auto-calculate what your payment system actually looks like. And then all you have to do each month is just follow that. Mm-hmm. There's also with student loans, you know, student loan refinancing is a big topic. There are a lot of great companies out there like SoFi. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-mm, I haven't. Yeah, they're a great company that that started up maybe five years ago. Don't quote me on that, but not not too not too distant. Um, and they're doing some awesome things about refinancing student loans, where they're slashing interest rates down to, you know, like two or three percent on student loans. And you know, if you take a student loan and your interest rate was seven percent, and you slash it down to two percent, and you're making the same payment on it every month, you're going to pay that off in no time. This is probably a stupid question, but how can they just slash the interest rate? Like, where right. where's well, that other 4% going? Well, you know, it's really just based off of their kind of company model that they came up with. And what they're doing is they're basically taking out a couple middlemen that are in place with traditional student loan financing, and they're consolidating the process. So it's kind of them who they're borrowing the money from, and then the actual student. And so in, 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 that's kind of the what's happening with all of the, it's called the fintech movement. So financial technology companies is they're trying to kind of cut out a lot of the middlemen that are involved with loans and then be able to, to pass savings on to the borrower in terms of, you know, lower interest rates, lower payments, things like that. I see. That's very interesting. I learned so – see, this is what I mean about talking about money is I feel like I talk <laughs> about money every couple of weeks and every time I learn something totally new or I'm reminded that I'm still not doing something that 800 people have told me I should do. So it's always something, which is – I did such a good topic to talk about. And your podcast comes out weekly or monthly? Yes, it comes out weekly. We do two podcasts a week. And then actually in October, we're moving to five podcasts a week and going to do a lot lot more cool things that aren't just about money, but about kind of millennial lifestyle as well. Very cool. So you can be found on iTunes around Adulthood Made Easy with Your Millennial Money or the Millennial Money Podcast. Sorry, I got that wrong. Millennial Money Podcast. Well, thank you, Shauna, for joining me today and answering all of my stupid questions. I really appreciate it. No, they're all amazing questions. There are no stupid questions when it comes to money. And do you want to share your Twitter handle so people can reach out to you with questions? 
Sure. Yeah, I'm at Shauna Game, and it's uh, S H A N N A H, and then uh, Game G A M E. Great. So happy to answer any questions. Great. Well, thank you very much, Shauna, for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet me at Samzabel and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our editor, Tim Einenkel, and our producer, Kristen Meinzer. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to go in and review and rate and subscribe in iTunes. The more people that rate the show, the easier it is for the show to be found. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll see you next time. Bye.